You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Derms and Conditions. And I have with me uh, just a great guy. I'd like to say he's a great fellow. Uh, his name is Dr. Nick Brownstone. He's based in New York City. He is a melanoma fellow at the National Society of Cutaneous Medicine. And I'll spare you my introduction and get right to talking to Nick about, you know, Nick, tell us what you're doing and how you got to this position of melanoma fellow in New York and, and some of the exciting things you're working on. Thank you, Dr. Del Rosso. First of all, it's great to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen every week, and it gives me great tips that I can use the next day in the clinic. So thank you for being a great host. Um, really happy to be here today. I'm currently a melanoma and skin cancer fellow at Dr. Daryl Regal in New York, New York, and I get to do a lot of really neat things. Treat skin cancers in clinic, perform clinical research and clinical trials, and one of the most interesting things is serving as the managing editor of Skin, the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine, which you're one of the editors-in-chief of. So can you talk to us about, is there anything new that's, any breakthrough that we need to know as clinicians that are practical in the clinic with melanoma? Most of the articles that we've been publishing in Skin uh, are, revolve around all different types of disease states. And melanoma is definitely one of them. And there's been a lot of interesting articles talking about genomic um, testing for melanoma. And in fact, um, me and my colleagues will be writing a clinical management recommendations in the upcoming issue, helping clinicians to integrate these tests into their practice. So what that's going to do is the clinicians that aren't necessarily spending every day or a lot of their days on just this area can go to that article and get some practical information on how they can apply it in their clinical practices and when it will be applicable and when it may not be helpful. So that, that sounds like it's going to be a very welcome article. That's right. And one of the best things about skin, and, and I, I really want to take this um, episode for the listeners to really let them know how they could use skin in their practice and how it could help them on a daily basis. And one of the best things about skin is these clinical management recommendations, which is always the first article of each issue. And again, we have a KOL in the field um, right about couple pages on a very salient topic within the dermatology community. For example, melanoma and genetic testing, or the most recent one was treatment of psoriasis beyond biologic therapy, which is a very popular topic. It gives some tips on things other than the biologics, because we hear a lot about the biologics. But you, you mentioned an interesting acronym, uh, KOL, which I believe stands for key opinion leader, but I always thought of it as you could keep them on the list or if they don't quite cut it, you could kick them off the list. So, <laughs> you know, they better do a good job when they put that, that article together. Otherwise, Nick Brownstone, they're going to get the cut, right, Nick? <laughs> well, KOL to me means keeping them off the list. So you better you better behave and otherwise you're off the list. That's right. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the articles in skin there there were there were some I, I got an opportunity to review some of them for a presentation and can you highlight some of the articles that you felt were the most meaningful uh or very meaningful to clinicians yeah i'd be happy to uh the goal of skin is to rapidly disseminate dermatological information both new information and information that's been taught before but we want to re-highlight one of the most popular articles we had in the history of the journal was an article on maskne during the COVID-19 pandemic. It was a short article, but it just reviewed some of the salient points regarding the pathophysiology and etiology of acne and some ways to treat it. 
really well received. The second article too, which I thought was really unique and interesting, was entitled Nutrition Education Toolbox for Hydrogenized Suppurativa. And this was in the May 2021 issue. And what the authors did is they provided tools for both physicians and patients to facilitate evidence-based nutrition education in HS through collaboration with dermatologists, registered dietitians, and a culinary specialist. So a really unique um, collection of individuals. And in this article, they looked at foods to avoid and reviewed the evidence. For example, they discussed that refined carbohydrates could lead to hyperinsulinemia, which may exacerbate a follicular occlusion in hydradenitis. So again, a really practical and highly uh, received article. What I liked about that article was, you know, when you when you have someone come in, and a lot of the patients with hydradenitis suppurativa are overweight, and it can be somewhat a sensitive issue to be talking to somebody about that without, you know, making them feel like you're, you know, you're putting them down or you're, you're, you know, weight is a sensitive subject for a lot of people. And you, and doing it as a clinician, as a means of trying to help them get their condition better without making them feel overly sensitive or embarrassed about it, uh, the patient feel embarrassed about it. What I liked about it is there were some excellent handouts in that article that the reader can print out and utilize in their practice. And I found that many of them were very well written. So it was practical from that standpoint. The handouts in that article I thought were fantastic. So I wanted to make sure that that you get that information out there because it was extremely practical article on an area that we and clinicians, we're focusing on what treatment do we use? What therapies have they had? Should we get them started on a biologic agent? You know, we're thinking about it in that classic medical perspective, but there were practical areas that even our staff can sit down and discuss with these patients, right? You know, a diet and dermatology is obviously a very big field. Patients come in, they ask about diet and acne, they ask about diet and psoriasis, even diet and atopic dermatitis. So I think these issues are great issues to bring up and, and we definitely need more studies for these types of things. So what about some of the other articles? Cause you know, you're, you're in, you're digging into it and going through them and helping put that that journal together, which, you know, people see the final, final copy, but there's so much work behind any of the journals out there in the information that gets in there. Just to, just to miss typos, little typographical errors when you're trying to proofread something is challenging. And so are there any other articles that really stood out to you? Yeah, there's a lot of articles, a lot of great information being published in this journal. The journal is published uh, bi-monthly, which means, you know, every other month. Um, one article I'd like to highlight is actually an article that I wrote, and it got really, really um, great comments on it. I had done some previous training um, at UCSF in inflammatory skin disease. One of my mentors was Dr. John Koo, who's board certified in both psychiatry and dermatology. And we did a lot of work together on delusions of parasitosis or Morgellons disease. So one of the articles that I wrote, and this was in the uh, September 2021 issue as the clinical management recommendations was best practices for management of delusions of parasitosis. And it really um, helps physicians in really, I would say, a couple of pages become more comfortable um, working with these patients because building rapport and not making them upset is really the most important thing with these types of encounters. I think a lot of clinicians, you know, in, in their mind are thinking, how do I manage this? And you almost want to back away from it, right? You, you feel badly feeling that way, but th that's not the kind of patient that many dermatologists want to see in their practice, admittedly, because, because they struggle with managing it. And they struggle with telling the patient, I think you need to see a psychiatrist and the patient getting angry and that sort of thing. So are there practical recommendations? 
recommendations in that article? Can you give me an example of one of the practical recommendations? Absolutely. And it's absolutely correct what you said. The issue is that, you know, you turn down the patient, don't want to see the patient, it's fine. But then they're going to end up in your colleague's office. And these patients kind of bounce around in the community. So it's it really with just a few simple um, management techniques, we could really in increase, improve the care of all these patients. And really with these patients, the key is to just listen to them and be empathetic um, and tell them that I don't know what's causing this disease. Okay. I can't tell you. If you want to see a, a parasitologist, entomologist, that's fine. But I have something that can help you. And if you're willing to um, engage in a trial and error medication regimen with me, I'm pretty sure I can cure you. And of course, in the article, we discussed the medications, namely Pimazide, which is really effective for this condition. And the most important thing about Pimazide is it has no FDA US psychiatric indication. So the patients are, are uniquely accept this type of therapy. And in my experience, after seeing these patients every week for about two years, it really leads to a cure. Are there any particular adverse effects or drug interactions? Or Because it's not a drug that we write often. And myself, if, if I'm writing a medication or prescribing a medication that I haven't used a lot, I'm one, I don't want to miss something that's going to harm the patient. So what suggestions do you have about that? Another really good point to bring up, luckily, Pimazide is a really safe medication. It's technically considered a first-generation antipsychotic, but in my experience, in Dr. Ku's over 30 years' experience, he's rarely had any significant side effects. You should, in older patients, get an EKG to make sure there's no QT prolongation. And then after you start the medication, there's really, really no major side effects, maybe a little bit of restlessness, a little bit of tiredness, and you can have them take the medication in the morning or at night because of that. And it's extremely, extremely rare, but the feared complication is tardive dyskinesia, which was thought to be irreversible. This is, of course, um, uncontrollable movements of the head, neck, arms, and legs. Dr. Ku and I performed a worldwide literature search, and we couldn't find one case that was directly caused by pimazide for delusions of parasitosis resulting in tardive dyskinesia. In fact, to make clinicians even more comfortable, for the first time ever, two new medications have recently come out that are now treatments for tardive dyskinesia, which should help clinicians feel more comfortable prescribing the medication in the first place. Right. So if the patient does happen to develop it, there are some treatments. We don't want the patient to have the problem in the first place. But they have a significant problem that you're treating. And, and so if you leave that, that delusions of parasitosis there, um, how often... You know, let's say you have a patient with delusions of parasitosis that goes on and on to different clinicians or different, they, they seek help in different areas, and they don't get that help. What happens to them? They, they keep going around to different clinicians, to entomologists, parasitologists, infectious disease, until somebody can can give them an answer that they want to hear. Sometimes all they want to hear is that their problem is being caused by a parasite. And we as physicians, you know, obviously can't tell them that's the case because it's not. But one trick that works really well is to minimize the etiology and maximize the fact that this problem is making their life a living hell. And if we focus on that and we, we want to get their life back on track, then we can kind of get the patients more on our side and accepting of therapy. Okay. So, uh, is this the type of patient that go, is going to get so frustrated they're going to harm themselves or they're going to become suicidal or or do they just keep going on and on and on and on this hamster wheel? In, in very, very rare cases, the patient may feel suicidal, but I have not seen that personally. And Dr. Ku, maybe a couple times in his career, his 30-year career, seeing these patients have seen a patient who was suicidal from it. But what the patients do do is they will take the time to write to um, – 
physician governing bodies complaining about the care that they got. And a lot of times physicians these days are community rated in terms of their reimbursement, where if their scores fall below their their uh, colleagues, they may get dinged financially. So it's another reason why, let's say you don't want to take care of these patients, which is fine. Um, you really should know how to, some basic tips to handle them so not to be penalized financially. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, we're getting hit from all different directions. Uh, who's going to take care of us when we <laughs> go and say, we're, I'm depressed about getting dinged when I didn't deserve it. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a story for another day, but that's a story for, that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast. So I know, I know that you said that I, that I asked some really good questions and made some great observations. Did that surprise you that Jim Del Rosso did that, Nick? I not, mean, not surprised know, at all. Not surprised at all. So what's next? for Nick Brownstone before we wrap up today. Do you have something you're working on now with Dr. Regal or with someone else? Because you're obviously got your, you're very, very motivated to put out some really good information out there for colleagues. Yeah. You know, I, I want to take these last few minutes to wrap up and just let you know about the exciting stuff we have going on with skin. We introduced two new sections to the journal. Uh, one is called Skimages, Clinical Images in Dermatology. And what this is, is a picture of a unique, interesting, or rare dermatological disease. Um, and we really want the, the submitter to really highlight why this is essential to the journal's readership, what can be learned of it, whether it's a rare disease or a disease that was rare, that's now becoming um, popular again in, t in today's society. And the next one is Dermatological Dilemmas, which is an academic style grand rounds where someone with a very difficult patient case submits the patient history and asks a couple of questions that we have a key opinion leader answer. And so I think that'll be a really nice uh, part of the journal too. I don't think any other journal really has a section like that. Now, there are some case studies and things, but it, but but it, we all have those challenging cases that stop us in the course of the day and that, that we all struggle with. So it will be nice to see that. You, you had something else you wanted to wrap up? Yeah, two more quick things. Uh, one is we've really um, expanded the resident fellow board, the medical student board, and we have an undergraduate student on our board too because Skin is really committed to education. And I'm working with the residents and fellows mentoring the medical students and the undergraduate student to teach them how to perform high-quality article reviews. And the last thing I'll say before I uh, get wrapped up here is we're going to introduce something called the Looking Forward to Yesterday series in Skin. We have so much great information that's been published in the past, and I want the readers to re-engage with these articles. So what we're going to do, starting probably in January, is when the new issue is released, we're going to have about a five-question quiz, and the answers will come from the old issues. And the first person who uh, responds correctly will win a gift card. And my hope is that readers will look at the old issues and say, oh, this article is interesting. I didn't see it there. I'm going to go ahead and read this now and learn something new. I think that's fantastic because, uh, you know, we, we have these piles of journals and now, now we, we do a lot of things online, obviously, but they sort of sit there and in those journals, there's a lot of great information that's often forgotten. So I think that's great. I think it, your excitement is actually getting me all excited. I feel like I'm being a little bit too lazy lately. I got to go out there and get and start reading some of those old journals again. So thanks a lot, Nick. It's If, if I can help you in any way, uh, be sure to reach out and it's very exciting what you're doing with skin and with with the other things that you're working on you really are a good fellow i'll have to tell daryl about that you're a good i appreciate fellow. that and uh yeah again really happy to be on the podcast thanks for the opportunity if i have my own podcast one day i think you'll be the first guest of honor well i would be honored to be part of your your podcast series so anyway take care and i want to thank our listeners for listening and and I hope you get an opportunity to look over skin and, and even contribute to some of the ways that, that Nick Brownstone's talked about. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcasts at fred.health. And most importantly, if you like this episode, subscribe to the Derms and Conditions podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us.